the psalm of the day, uh, that's also what the sermon is going to be based on. We'll go ahead and read it. How good, oh, excuse me. Oh, you're good. Um, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Again, this is God's word. My brothers and sisters, in 1994, Raisin Bran Cereal released a commercial with this slogan, good and good for you. Well, that's a bold claim, especially considering that it's really not that true. Now, Raisin Bran is okay cereal, unless you've ever had Lucky Charms, Reese's Puffs, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Honey Nut Cheerios, pretty much any cereal that's not just plain Cheerios, right? Raisin Bran, it's okay, I would not consider it good. And in reality, it's really not that good for you either, uh, because just one cup of Raisin Bran cereal has more than half of your daily recommended amount of sugar. So, sorry to burst everyone's bubble, but that's, that's the truth. When are, when are we as a society going to figure it out? That when it comes to food, something is either delicious or it is good for you. How many cauliflower buffalo wings or meatless vegan impossible cheeseburgers or, or sugarless soda is it going to take for us that, that if you try to make something that's both delicious and healthy, it's going to be neither. And that, that concept doesn't just apply to food. I think it applies to life. You know, things that are fun, things that are enjoyable, things that, that taste good. Just sleeping until noon. You know, binge-watching Netflix or, or putting quarters in the slot machine. It's fun, but it's really not that good for you. And things that are good for you, like eating broccoli or reading a book or exercise, right, it's good for you, but it's not particularly pleasant or enjoyable. So you can imagine how big of a deal it is when you find one of those rare things in life that is both good and good for you. And that is why David starts his psalm with a word that isn't even translated in, uh, these are three English translations. Uh, The the bottom one is the New International Version. That's the one we usually use. Uh, The King James Version. So if you grew up in like the the 70s and you were in church back then, that's what they would have used. It's like the old these and thousand. And this, the top one is one that's sometimes used. These two translate the first word of the psalm, behold. The the first word of the psalm, it's pronounced hene. And that word is really, really difficult to translate into English. Some English translations don't even, you know, put it in. Because that word, it, it, it kind of means behold, but, but not really. Hene really means more like, um, hey, or yo, or look. It, it's, it's an extremely emotional word. And so David starts his psalm that that's an attention grabber. He's saying, look. What I'm about to tell you, what I'm about to show you is so important, so valuable, you need to know this. Because he found it. He found that thing, that one thing that is both good in the sense of morally right, holistically healthy, functionally perfect, the way God wants it to be, good, and pleasant, uh, fun, 
enjoyable. You know, the, the word for pleasant is noim, and that's actually related to the word Naomi. That name, what does Naomi mean? Anyone know? Sweet. And so that, that's the concept. It, it, it's good for you, and it tastes good. And what is that one thing that is good for you, and it tastes good? When brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. Now, how do we describe Christian unity? What is this thing that we call Christian unity? I would describe it like this. Christian unity is first and foremost when brothers and sisters, like we have here today, come together and join their hearts in prayer, join their hearts in confession, get forgiven together, and join, join their voices in song as they praise their Lord together. Christian unity is when brothers and sisters come to Bible class and they, they dig into the, the riches of God's word and mine out the gems and apply it to their life. You know, we have that, what, on Tuesdays, women's Bible studies. Uh, once a month, we have men's Bible studies at Bonanza. You know, we have a lot of stuff. That, that, that's what Christian unity is, coming together and, and all, you know, benefiting each other with God's word. Christian unity also happens outside of the church building because what is church? It's not the, the building, it's the people. Christian unity happens when we go to each other's houses to watch football or to celebrate holidays or birthdays or just to hang out because we actually like each other. Christian unity is when we comfort each other, we encourage each other, when we forgive each other, when we admonish each other, when we just love each other, when we are Christ to each other when we mourn together and laugh together or cry together, when, when we are ex exhibiting the love of Christ to each other, because when God wants to make his presence known in your life, he's not going to do it when you're by yourself. When God wants to make his presence known in your life, he's going to make his presence known through your brothers and sisters. That's Christian unity. Christian unity, it means that it doesn't matter what we look like, it doesn't matter what we vote for, it doesn't matter where we lean politically, it doesn't matter how much money we make, it doesn't matter where we come from, it doesn't matter what our accents are. What really matters is that Jesus has called us to be his, his people. That's what unites us. That is Christian unity. And that, according to David, is something that is truly good and good for you. And so David uses two really rich, vivid, interesting, but not super well-known pictures. And so we're going to be exploring those today and seeing uh, how that applies to our lives. So the first picture in verse two, what is unity like? Unity is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. What does that mean? Shortly after the Israelites escaped from Egypt, right, so they were in, in the desert on their way to the promised land. That's when the books Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy were written. And that's when God kind of set up their Old Testament religious system. And their Old Testament religious system was all based around the sacrifice, either at the tabernacle or the temple. It was all about the sacrifice so that they could be forgiven by God for their sins. And the person in charge of that sacrifice was the high priest. And God chose Aaron, the brother of Moses, to be the high priest who would be in charge of all those sacrifices. That's one of the most important jobs in Israel. So when you were chosen by God for an important job in Israel, what happened? Well, you were anointed. Oil was poured over your head in front of everyone to prove, to show that you were chosen by God for that special job. Except the oil that's poured on the head 
it's not just oil. No, uh, uh, Exodus 30 gives us uh, the ingredients. I don't know if you can see this. So it's oil, but with myrrh, cassia, cinnamon, and calamus. Now, these are ingredients that you would not find in your typical uh, Middle Eastern cabinet. These are ingredients that you would have to go as far south as Ethiopia, possibly as far east as India, possibly as far east as China. It's shocking that that far long ago, people were already getting spices from China. That is how rare and expensive these elements were. And just to give you an idea, that blue X up there, that's where Israel was. And so the stuff that you're using possibly came all the way from China. That, so, so this oil that they mixed, this concoction, they mixed all these in, priceless ingredients with this oil. This oil that they would have poured on Aaron's head was probably one of the most precious, rare, expensive things that that nation had in its possession. And so you would think that, okay, you know, well, we're going to pour this on Aaron's head. We're going to anoint him in front of everyone. But this is so expensive and so rare. We're just going to... Put a little bit on them because a little goes a long way. Well, that's not what the psalm says. No, they don't just put a little bit on his head. They dump it on his head and it flows down his head into his beard and covers his robes. So what is David saying? <laughs> Christian unity is the precious, priceless, expensive, costly, rare gift that God gives to his church, that sets his church, his people, apart from everyone else in the world. And it's an example of God's abundance, God's generosity, right? And God, when God gives unity to his church, he's not just giving a little bit of blessing. No, he's dumping the blessing on his church. And so the question that I think we all need to ask ourselves today and, and really, really think about it is, what is keeping you from enjoying Christian unity? What is keeping you, inhibiting you from enjoying this precious, priceless gift from God? Maybe it's your opinions. Maybe it's your, your, your really, really strong opinions about the president or the past president or vaccines or masks or politics or social issues that your opinions are so strong that you would never talk to someone else who disagrees with you, even if they're in your church. Maybe what's, keep, maybe what's stopping you is uh, your busyness. All the errands you have to run, all the stuff we got to do on Sunday, so we'll just you know, stay home today. Again, you know, what happens one week turns into a month, turns into three months, right? It, it, we, all these things in our lives, sports, our kids' sports, all this stuff we have going on, it, it, it makes us so busy that we forget what's really, really important in life. Maybe it's your ego. Maybe it's your big sense of self-importance that anyone who... who doesn't treat you the way that you deserve to be treated. Well, I'm never talking to that person again. Oh, I, I'm never going to forgive that person. Maybe it's your clickiness. Well, I only talk to some people. That right now, there is something in all of our lives that is telling us, well, you need to prioritize me over the biggest priority that God says that is in our lives. And this is the truth. If God is your number one priority in your life, if he is truly your God, then God's people will also be your highest priority. And if God's people are not your highest priority, well, then God is not your highest priority. Now, why? Why is this so important? 
Why is this such a big deal? Why is Christian unity to be, to be prioritized so highly? Because you cannot find Christian unity anywhere else in the world. You cannot tr- find this kind of unity anywhere else. Now, you can join a club, you can join a, a, a country club, you can join a team, you can join all kinds of organizations and find unity there. But nowhere else in the world can you find, can you look at someone who is ethnically, racially, nationally, politically, completely different than you and say, you are my brother, you are my sister. Because think about it, all other kinds of worldly unity that you get out there, what are they all based on? It's all based on something that you offer. You have to look a certain way. You have to make a certain amount of money. You have to believe something politically. You have to be this tall. That's what that kind of unity is based off of. And that's not always a bad thing, but often what happens. When your unity with people is based off of your skin color or your political ideology or or the fact that you make a certain amount of money, you, a lot of times what happens is you start to hate people that aren't like you. Not all the time, but a lot of times. And, and so ironically, worldly unity often is the cause of racism and sexism and classism and all kinds of hatred. So what makes Christian unity different? The fact that our unity is based not on what we have to put on the table, but on what Jesus has done for us. The fact that Jesus lived for us, that he died for us, that he rose for us, that he has given us a new identity and a new name and a place in his kingdom. All of that is a gift of grace. That's what makes Christian unity different. That what unites us is not something that we bring to the table. It's that it's grace. That means that people that are outside of our unity, we can never look down on it and say, well, no. No, because, well, we don't deserve to be here either. Christian unity is the only unity that does not cause hatred of people that are different than us. And so, how would I sum up verse 2? Christian unity is the precious, generous gift from God that sets us apart from the world, and it must be prioritized. We'll go to the next picture then. So what is Christian unity like? It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Again, what is David talking about? Well, something to consider. So in Israel, um, Mount Hermon is the tallest mountain in Israel. It's, it's kind of in the middle of the country. And we, we, you know, Israel is kind of in the desert, like it's in the Middle East, but this part of Israel actually gets a ton of rain. It's very rich, it's very green, it's very lush. It's tall, it's green, it's lush, it's got lot, lots of trees, lots of wildlife, but it's very rural. Not a lot of people live there, right? So that's Mount Hermon. A hundred miles south is Mount Zion, the more famous mountain. Mount Zion is about the quarter of the height of Hermon. It's heavily populated. That's where the capital city Jerusalem is. That's where the temple is. And it's dry, arid, and hot. Okay, so, so with that in mind, what is David saying? David is saying that Christian unity is as if that precious dew from Hermon, that life-giving water that that mountain gets, came to the desert of Zion and gave this place life. And think about what David's looking at. See, what, 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 what was in Jerusalem? The temple. See, when they saw, sang these Psalms of Ascent, it was always climbing up Mount Zion to go to the temple. And so David is climbing up this Mount Zion, and he's seeing all different kinds of people, all different kinds of Old Testament believers, people from different countries, people that maybe have different accents, people that make different amounts of money, but they're all coming together, and it's a great, 
big family reunion. There's joy, there's singing, there's celebration, there's laughter, there's hugs. There, and David is looking at all of this and saying, you know what? We might be in the middle of the desert right now, but there is no place on earth that has more joy and more life than this place right here. This Christian unity that we have is as if the dew from Hermon came down and gave this desert life. But notice what David says. This Christian unity must be found at Mount Zion. Well, what's at Mount Zion? Jerusalem. What's at Jerusalem? The temple. And what happens at the temple? Sacrifice. Their unity was founded on sacrifice. No sacrifice, no unity. The thing that made those people truly one is that, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you make, it doesn't matter what you think, it doesn't matter what you look like, you are a sinner that needs a sacrifice. You are a sinner that needs to be forgiven by God, and the only way that God can forgive in you is if an innocent animal gets killed on your behalf. That was the foundation of their unity. And the thing is, it's also the foundation of our unity. What's the foundation of our unity? Well, it's not the sacrifice of an animal. It's not a bunch of sacrifices but it's the sacrifice. The, sa the sacrifice that all those animal sacrifices were pointing toward. You see, w w what happened when Adam and Eve first sinned in the Garden uh, of Eden? What happened? Well, they heard God walking in the garden, and they hid. Because when you sin, if you were a sinner, there is a, a wall of sin that separates you from God. And that is the, 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 mo the deepest problem of every single human, that you are separated from God. There is disunity between you and God. And what did Jesus do when he died on the cross? He paid for all of those sins. He was punished for all of our sins. And therefore, he separated, he broke down the wall of sin that separated us from God. Literally, what happened to the temple the moment Jesus died, right? You have the Holy of Holies, that place that you can't go in because that's where God is. And there's a, that big, thick curtain. And the moment Jesus died, it was torn too. Showing that the unity that we have with God is based on the sacrifice. And when Jesus broke down that barrier, he also broke down the little barriers that we make between ourselves, barriers like race, barriers like politics, barriers like money, barriers like class, barriers like gender, all the different little barriers that we make. Because the big barrier between us and God was broken down, all the little barriers between us, those are also broken down. This means that Christian unity is two things, radically inclusive and, at the same time, radically exclusive radically inclusive how is christian unity radically inclusive because well, like we said it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter what you look like it doesn't matter who you vote for it doesn't matter how much money you make it doesn't matter god calls all people no matter who they are to come find shelter and hope and love under his sacrifice at the cross that's why the Christian church, from its very beginning, has always been multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-national, multi-political, inviting poor and rich, man and woman, slave and free, to all come together and find joy and unity at the cross. But Christian unity is also radically exclusive. Because you notice what David says, for it is there that God bestowed eternal life. What is eternal life? It's unity with God. 
the only place that you can find true unity is at the cross because only Jesus can give you an identity and a name that is more important than your race, than your political affiliation, than your status, than your gender, than all this other stuff that we think, is, think are important. Only Jesus can give you that. And so how would I sum up verse 3? I would say this. Christian unity is the precious, life-giving dew that God offers to all people, but it must be found at the cross. We're going to end today with just a little object lesson, kind of a cool little thing from history on how this plays out, and then just two really quick applications. So, first off, again, it's been a while since anyone has even wanted to look at a nativity scene, right? It's been about a month and a half, but what do you notice on the nativity scene, right? There's you have the baby Jesus, you have Mary and, and Joseph, you have the stable, you might have an angel, but you always have the three wise men. Now, the Bible never says that there's three wise men, and the Bible never tells us what they look like. But in the medieval European, you know, kind of around the 12th to 15th century, artists, who, when they painted the nativity scene, started to draw the wise men like this. So you notice kind of a theme, right? You have three wise men, and you have one that looks very European, very pale, you have someone that looks a little bit more Middle Eastern, and you have someone that looks very dark, you, you know, from Africa. And so, so why did they start doing that? You know, the Bible never says that's what they look like. Well, in the medieval European mindset, the world was divided into three parts. Europe, uh, what we would call the Orient, so like the Middle East and everything east of that, and Africa. To them, those three wise men represent every nation, every culture, every ethnicity in the entire world. Now, in that time period, that's when the Crusades, that's when slavery started to happen, that's when all these race wars were happening. And they said, you know what? It is not only possible, but inevitable that every single race, every single ethnicity, every single people, group of people, they're going to come together and they are going to call each other brothers. They are going to be brothers and sisters, family, united. What unites them? One king. One king. Jesus the king unites all people, regardless of where they're from. Just a, a beautiful truth. That, that the, the, the beautiful Psalm 133 truth. That the painters and the artists of that generation really loved and cherished that it's not going to matter what you look like. Jesus calls all people to come under the cross. And so two really quick applications that I think that maybe you can take home with you. Number one, Christian unity is your biggest priority. If God is truly your biggest priority, then your brothers and sisters will also be your priority. That means that Christian unity is more important than sports, it's more important than errands, it's more important than groceries, it's more important than all this other stuff in life. When God wants to make his presence known to you, he's not going to do it while you're in the woods by yourself. He's going to do it while you are in the presence of your brothers and sisters. And application number two, don't build up barriers that Jesus has broken down. You know, the Christian church, uh, unfortunately, is kind of known for this, that we build barriers between each other based on race, based on politics, based on status, based on all this other stuff. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. said, what, the most segregated time in America is Sunday morning, right? Because Christians sometimes forget what Psalm 133 unity is really all about. Don't build barriers that Jesus has broken down. Take time to enjoy and cherish and listen to people that are different than you and have different opinions than you. And if Jesus is telling the truth, 
which last time I checked, that's all he does. If you do that, you will, be, you will find and nourish something that is at the same time good for you, healthy, benefits you spiritually, and something that's enjoyable, something that's fun, something that's, that tastes good, something good and good for you. Christian unity. Amen. And we'll continue with the Apostles' Creed.